You're listening to 50% Facts, the show where we're building a health and fitness resource by trying to answer a single question every week, just based on what we already know. Or maybe what we think we know. Then we bring in the world's leading expert to tell us what we got right and what we got wrong. I'm Jim McDonald. And I'm Mike Farr. Welcome to our show. Hello, Internet. We were playing uh, some like hunting folklore monsters with simon last night till like midnight hunting folklore. what was it wind dingo <laughs> i think it was a wind he has like a chupacabra okay and you're running around i don't know it's like a horror video game i'm just trying to waste my time in my life <laughs> yeah you don't know you're just planted in this world well t- just to be clear yesterday i baked muffins and i rebuilt a fence in my backyard so much more productive than me <laughs> <laughs> pretty big i uh, it wasn't even like well you know what i i cheated a lot i did it in the just like fastest and cheapest way that i possibly could so we made um raised bed gardens me too (laughs) it was fun actually but it was a bunch of work yeah i ended up making uh um i ended up actually doing three smaller boxes just because of the space and then we so we can actually get around them and stuff like they're Yep. two three by threes and one two by two and then i'm gonna yep. build um probably this afternoon build two more rectangular ones but uh we did two four by eights and i'm still waiting for my drip system to come in it should be in here in a couple of days uh, shipping's so weird everything comes in at weird times now. yeah because stuff tells you they tell you that something's coming on a particular day and then it comes sooner and then it tells you that it's going to yeah. come sooner and then it comes later or it might not come at all. Yeah. I think I bought some ca- you I bought no some idea. energy drinks from Amazon or something and it said like <laughs> like 6 weeks out or something. <laughs> I'm like what the fuck. <laughs> yeah, I bought a case of You guys know what Underberg no. is? No. Oh, <laughs> <that. Let's> hear <laughs> it. So <laughs> uh so you know uh Underberg is a type of amaro like in a but it's a German amaro. So amaro is like Campari or like those bitter liqueurs that you mix to make you know uh like absinthe is tomorrow right so to make like sazeracs or so anything that's kind of like a bitter liqueur and the italians drink that stuff uh and it's good and it tends to be the alcohol tends to be like maybe 25 percent most Mm -hmm. tomorrow uh germans have german tomorrow which as you might imagine is more forceful. Uh, it's, it's like 50 or 60% Prone alcohol. Prone to orthotrainism. They come in these little tiny, you know the little tiny like Tabasco bottles, like the little baby ones? That's what they come in. And they're like a single shot of real high proof. It's sort of a rooty, root beery type. It's like drinking Vicks Formula 44 or something Ugh. when you were a kid, but they're amazing. So I bought a case of those on Amazon the other day because I was, you know, it was midnight. And I was laying in bed <laughs> buying stuff like you do. <laughs> <laughs> during during coronavirus and same thing it's like oh it's gonna be here you know may 30th you know, ordered it two weeks ago but what are you gonna do so I'll, it'll be a good day and I, it won't be expected by then that's the other nice thing though about amazon prime doesn't work in two days now just things show up randomly and you're like oh i, I ordered that four weeks ago and forgot i remember doing it. that with like shoes or something back in the day not even back in the day i guess five years ago probably right and then you're like oh man i forgot i ordered this and then you get like a present at the front door <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's Christmas. 
The problem is at my house because there's because my I've got a wife and two daughters and they also order things all the time. Is then you you know you get all these packages every day and you're trying to figure out whose Christmas is it. <laughs> we're like it's mine, it's mine, and mom's like it's my makeup, and my daughter's like it's my jeans or my shoes, and then you go digging into the box, you're like dang it, it's not mine, it's not the underwear. <laughs> my my wife got a package it's, on Friday or Saturday. She had um, and she was at work. And it was from Nordstrom. So I'm like, well, like the ch- the chances that she ordered something from Nordstrom's herself are very, very low. And um, she had missed it, walked in the door, you know, things are crazy at the hospital, not from COVID, just because life is, is crazy. And uh, she was like stretching before bed. She was like doing some little bit of yoga or whatever. And I said, do you know that you had like a package? And she's like, no, no, I didn't see it. So I handed it to her and she opened it up and it's this scarf and it's like, it's like cashmere and silk scarf. And it's very nice. And she's like, I wonder who this is from. I was like, I don't have a clue. It's not me. I didn't have anything to do with it. Turned out it was her mom. So her mom sent it to her for Mother's Day, but there was no card or anything. What's Mother's Day? A week? Early Mother's Day. Ne- next out? Sunday. Oh. This yeah, this what day is Sunday. today? Monday. Monday. Yes. Oh. What day is today? That's yeah, that's on it. that's the on quote it. of the quarantine. It's too late to order Amazon Prime. That's the problem. No one's reliable anymore. There's nowhere to go. You can't buy anything in person, and now you'll never get anything online yeah. either. So it's a gift oh, yeah. card. Where time. could you go in person? Home Depot. Yeah, yeah. anything you want at Home go. Depot. Grocery store. Yeah, grocery store. Yeah. Grocery oh, store flowers. Man. A lot of marijuana. A lot of wheat. <laughs> you a lot can of get weed marijuana. And liquor open here. Liquor for sure. Not not in Missouri. Oh, really? Different. No dice. Yeah. I mean, liquor, yeah, but not yeah, weed. But yeah, that, that's our biggest lines yeah, probably yeah. that I've seen driving around town is the Home Depot and the recreational weed stores. The lines every single day. Really, yeah, I haven't seen any any weed store lines. The main one downtown is always there, and then the one over here by you, kind of too. There's one over here by me. Oh, I'll tell you, I'll tell you <laughs> off camera. Yeah, yeah. There's always a line. All right. Like people, people. Oh, I accidentally. I don't know if we talked about it. I uh, I don't think I was on the way here. I accidentally uh, drove by the protests. Oh, I, I didn't know there was protests on uh, Friday. Maybe it must have been Friday. Yeah, chaos, chaos yeah, yeah. ensuing everywhere. But I think they're protesting the wrong shit. Like, yes, I understand that. The like umbrella is politics, but what's going on right now is whether you kind of want to stay home and stay a little, you know, more conservative on 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 when we open up businesses, or you think we should open up businesses a little more rapidly. Yeah, and that's your opinion despite politics but the, i didn't see a single sign about any of that out there oh it was Every, all uh, yeah, anti-vax and it was or, or who's for president next yeah, and I'm yeah. like, bro, yeah. let's worry about right, right now and not worry about 20 who's my president in 2021 like it's just an opportunity to protest I think, yeah people really. don't uh, but, but it sucks that like everyone blames politicians and media for pushing agendas which clearly they do we right. all have biases and agenda but then we are supposed to be the people. Why don't you think for yourself and protest for yourself and protest for what you believe in instead of feeding their their egos all day? That's all yeah, you're doing. Well, I, I think that, I don't know. We could go way down the hole on this, but but I just don't know. I don't know I either. Don't know. Bunch of idiots. A couple more whiskey. We all need some whiskey if we're going to dive down this. <laughs> I, I, I think the thing that I can say that I hope that they haven't screwed up is that we have the lowest infection rate of any major metropolitan U.S. city. Oh, that's pretty good. And we have the third lowest death rate, and the death rates are all, you know, just within yeah. a narrow band of each other. So, so we're happy with that. 
All right, let's get some educational whiskey talk. It's uh, so we're talking to Matt Reynolds from Barbell Logic, by the way. Barbell Logic online coaching, Barbell Logic podcast. It's it's eleven fifteen our time, which makes it what one fifteen your time. Yep. What's the whiskey of choice at one fifteen on a Monday? <laughs> I'm drinking a, I'm drinking Weller one oh seven, Weller Red one oh seven, Weller Antique, which is the same thing as Pappy Van Winkle, but it's a, not quite as expensive. Same juice, hard to find still. You can't really get it, but I've got a pretty good collection up here. I've got maybe 350 whiskey. Oh, my there. goodness. So, so you're in it. Jim's in it pretty good, too. But I, not, not, to, not to the tune of I don't know anything. I um, probably may have 20 bottles. That's actually how Jim and I met. We, we, we went to an Irish pub. That's how we started when we drank a bunch exactly, of whiskey. Exactly, yes. We recorded an, uh, an episode of my, my other show that gets so neglected, um, <laughs> less than obvious, at an Irish pub in San Francisco. It was the loudest thing ever. I bet. It was loud. I bet. There was a... There was like a, there's music. I think that was one point, maybe a band playing. I don't know. We, we drank Redbreast 21, so that was amazing. You recorded was in the pub? No. Yes, we did. Yes. Oh, yeah, for All sure. Right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> seemed like a good it idea. It did seem time. like a great idea at the time. And in terms of the whiskey and the, and, and the food and the company, it was great. In terms of the audio quality, it was a challenge. That, there is something to That's all of that. We do all our stuff online now, like all our interviews or conversations, but yep. there is something too. And I was telling Jim when we first started uh, the podcast, whatever, 2012, 13. I, yeah, I was like laying back on a couch with like my feet up. And there's In something a dark, dark room. Yeah, it's dark, it's kind of hot. And there's something to that. Like I really felt like myself. Yeah. Where now I, I'm, I've done this so long, I can talk and act like myself regardless but where you know i'm like sitting up i'm on a stool i have this fancy headphone i had to hold like a a microphone in my hand yeah you know wires were all over me we're playing twister with wires there's something to (laughs) yeah there's something to going to like a pub or um i don't know if you see it's really popular now but uh, i watched a long time ago hot ones the uh hot wing eating interview yeah 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 i I watched that one's yeah it's such a good idea because you're just sitting down you're eating some wings there's a little you know uh, uncomfort going on or whiskey going on or whatever it (laughs) might be and then conversations tend to be a little bit more raw than if you're you know phone to phone sitting upright Uh, yeah i would agree with you there yeah it's difficult but if you have other pod like the weird the weird thing for us is is that we started our podcast was definitely much more gritty much more edgy you know it wasn't uh it wasn't dick and fart jokes really in the beginning. It was just more, it was more language and more whatever in the beginning. And as the business has blown up and become a, a large business, I feel like I've, I've really had to tone it down. <laughs> yeah. I've had to be more professional. So we, uh, you know, I can't say this stuff and I've, and we've, our podcast is professionally produced now. And so I've got a great producer who, uh, he listens to everything I say. And if there's something that is too offensive, he pulls that thing out and then it goes to my editor in chief and he listens to it again. And, Sometimes makes another suggestion. We pull something else out, and that's the that's the nature of the beast, I guess. As you run a, a big business, as you can't uh, say all the stuff you used to be able to. So, which is probably that's kind okay. of the topic of the day too: is businesses starting them, gyms, fitness, online, in person, brick and mortar. How uh, does something as simple as that um, happen? Is it from feedback you get in emails or or shitty customer service reviews, or is it kind of an internal thing? Because I think I've gone similar things internally. Um, and I just grown up, I guess, kind of on the. We internet. don't talk about poop on this show. We did talk about poop on the other show. Yeah, and I don't mind talking about that stuff. Yeah. Like I'll say butthole and I'll talk about some <laughs> weird stuff. But like I, yeah, we yeah, did but too. It, but uh, it was just more inside. Like um, what 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 am I representing of myself? Yeah, rather sure. than rather sure. than feedback. I've never gotten feedback like, man, Mike, you're so nasty. Like no one's ever told me that. Yeah, we we get some of that. I mean, at this point, the the numbers are pretty good on the podcast, and so it's. 
the number of emails we get that are that are I don't know what you call fan emails, but as well as occasionally the the angry emails, we get both. Um, but you know, it's it's we get twenty positive emails for every one negative one we get, and then some of it's just like, look, I'm a forty two year old businessman whose primary demographic is not competitive athletes; it's executives and you know it's business professionals and soccer moms, and so and so th- you know the kind of crass humor. While it's still really funny, and I still love telling those same jokes to all my buddies when I'm off the air, uh, you know, it just it's we're trying to to feed the audience that uh, it's just the niche that we found, and so I think it's one of the things about us at Barbell Logic is that our our niche very much is upper middle class middle aged yeah, people, yeah. Mm-hmm. and so you have to wire it for that. It's not you're not talking to, to a bunch of 23 year old powerlifters yeah, right. anymore, which is which is where I got my start. And so I have to remember that that's not who's listening to the show. Uh, was that another, uh, you know, thought thought out move? Or like you said, did you just find that demographic? Because oh, yeah. we do that a lot too. Is I, I don't even know who listens to us anymore because Jim and I have been so many different places, so many podcasts <laughs> yeah. and so whatever. And people have like grown up with me. I remember, you know, if we go by my YouTube demographic, sure. it used to be like 16 to 25. And then now that I'm 30, they're all 25 to 35. Like mm-hmm. it's literally switched yep. with us, which is pretty cool. But um, I never chose that. No chicks listen to me for some freaking reason. I, I oh, it's really I'm crazy. trying to take the video off <laughs> YouTube, crazy. so maybe chicks like Old my males. voice or something, and they don't know how <laughs> ugly I am. I don't know why women don't want to listen to me, uh, but it's 90% dudes, and uh, it just happened. Like I, I don't, I wouldn't even know. People like I'm into branding and I'm into business and I read all these marketing things and blogs and I talk to some of the smartest people in the world and I'm, I'm friends with some of these people. I have no clue what I'm doing still. Like if I hypothetically wanted to switch this podcast over and hit some older generation lifters, I wouldn't even know where to begin. Yeah. Yeah, I think you. I think you tend to find your niche often a little bit accidentally. You know, we. Um, I started. I, I told this story when Jim interviewed me for the for the other podcast. Of, I started owning a gym. I owned a big powerlifting gym, and we won powerlifting gym gym of the year. I think in thirteen and fourteen, and uh, you know it went great. Uh, but the reason we were successful is because we had really good customer service. We had a really clean business. The gym was super clean, smelled clean. You know, and while we had a bunch of hardcore powerlifters, I, I think we had maybe twenty five or twenty six guys who could deadlift over seven hundred pounds there. The average guy deadlifted 500 pounds, and he was a 43-year-old business executive. Mm. And I, I'm in Springfield, Missouri, man. There's not enough powerlifters and strength athletes to pay the bills in a town like this. And so we we figured out a way to market to the business professionals and soccer moms and that sort of demographic. And they trained like the powerlifters trained, like they lift, you know, they squatted and deadlifted heavy, and everybody did. Everybody in the gym did. And that made the gym successful. And then I started realizing, oh, you know, then then if you got a power lifter who's a who's a douche, then you can take him to the monolift and you can be like, I, I'm not sure you understand who bought this monolift. <laughs> See that group of soccer moms yeah. over there? They bought the monolift. You didn't buy this monolift. Like you you be cool to them. And so you started to realize, like, oh, the the demographic that has the money and also that will stay, it's not really about greed, it's about longevity. They stayed. They didn't leave. They didn't get, you know, they weren't like, oh, I'm going to do CrossFit now or oh, I'm going to do hot yoga now or I'm going to bounce to the next thing. And so I just, I kind of fell in love with training those middle-aged people. So when I sold the gym at uh, the end of 15 and started doing online coaching full-time in 16, and, and for us, online coaching, we actually break down every video of every lift that you do every single day. So it's very, very high-touch in-depth 
Um, we pushed toward that demographic, that middle-aged demographic. They were the ones that had the money to support that higher price point, and uh, and it worked. And so here we are, launched it in uh, in early sixteen, January sixteen, and so we're going on a little over four years, and and now we're pushing you know over a thousand clients and eighty employees, and it's uh it's, it's changed life tremendously for sure. So how are things different right now? Are people, ha- I mean, the majority of people that you're dealing with have access to uh, weight still, or you have to figure out all sorts of workarounds and body weight stuff and. Yeah, it's a great, great question. It's both. I mean, about 60% of our clients train at home anyway. So we're very pro home gym at our, at our uh, company. And part of that is because we found that we were able to fill a niche um, where people who wanted good coaching, but didn't have access to it. You think about all the people in rural areas don't have access to good coaches. I mean, if you're in Manhattan, there's great coaches. If you're in Austin, there's good coaches. If you're in Sacramento, there's great coaches. But what if you're in the middle of nowhere? What if you're an hour outside of Sacramento? Mm. You're not going to drive into Sacramento every day to train. Maybe you do on Saturdays or something. You know. So, so for us, we, we very much promote home gyms. We love great black iron barbell gyms. Those things are great, but they're few and far between. And so about 60% of our clients train from home. The others train from gyms, and we've had to figure it out and make do. And so we kind of... We kind of sniffed where this was going pretty early, and we had people try to get some kettlebells and dumbbells and bands and things like that. And uh, but some of our clients are still training with body weight and you know fifty pound bags of dog food. And I think the difference for us is those people. How do how do you make sure that they are still training and uh, and not just exercising? You know, like how do you make sure that there's still some linear progression or some progression there that you know, if they do three sets of ten with the fifty pound dog food bag they're doing three sets of 12 next time yeah and three sets of 14 and then a little heavier and then they're you know and and so the hard part is is that we are we are so into pushing the weight up on the bar a little bit of you know incremental increases all the time add five pounds to the bar add two and a half pounds to the bar make it a little heavier well now you can't do that because people don't have barbells they don't have weights so you've got to increase the stress by increasing the volume, by increasing the frequency, by increasing maybe the density, how much work they get done in a specific amount of time. None of that stuff is optimal to us. We would rather put more weight on the bar, but what do you do when you can't put more weight on the bar? Um, and so you, you do the best you, you can. You attend a uh, livestock auction and you buy a calf. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> What's the Milo? And go is it Milo? What? what? Uh, carried a cow up a hill every year? Carried the calf. I actually forget. I don't think it it's is something Milo. like that. It's, uh, is it Milo? 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 I, I don't know. Tomato, tomato. Do you carry a cow up the hill? I feel bad. I feel bad day? now that I'm mentally blocking on this because I had all that Greek mythology. In <laughs> I, I I probably had six years of Greek mythology oh, in my regular did, school. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember. And either. my best friend Omar's the genius and knows every Greek story ever. But I'm an idiot. So yeah. Well, you went to a Waldorf school and you guys like spent some time with all the Dulaires. Ancient myths, you name it. Yeah, thing. Yeah, you name it. Yeah, my but, my kid did that. Yeah, I think it's Milo though. I think it's Milo carried a little cow. For those that don't know the story, of the history of progressive overload, a little a little Greek Grecian boy carried a cow up a hill every single day from a baby to an adult. And when the uh, how heavy is a regular cow though? Yeah, it was Milo. It, very 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 heavy. Pretty heavy, right? Even a baby cow's got to be like two hundred pounds or something. Whatever. Carried this cow up and down a hill. Cow slowly gaining weight kids slowly getting stronger bada boom bada bing you're jacked what was the uh i don't know if you want to dig into it you can just ixnay any question we ask what was the um idea business or reason for closing the gym 
uh, and going fully online and not maybe doing combo. Or no, it's, it's oh yeah. I mean, I can answer any question you cool. ask. Cool, cool. <laughs> Transparent to a fault. <laughs> uh, I had I had uh, I had two two business partners, one of which uh, founded the gym with me. Still a good friend of mine. Uh, we brought on a third business partner. He had come from a a pretty wealthy family, and um, and we 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 actually worked pretty well together, the three of us. Um, but that third owner, uh, didn't like having to vote on everything. And so his family made a little bit of a power play and they had, uh, again, lots of generational wealth there and ended up, uh, trying to buy us out. We got great attorneys and got bought out for, we got, we got paid gotcha. well. And so, uh, it, it turned out good and it allowed us to, to have the freedom to not have to work for a while and figure out what we we're going to do. I, I actually didn't plan on, on switching to online. I, I planned on actually opening up a very high end executive barbell club in my town. And I had been on the, the art of manliness podcast, Brett McKay from art of manliness is one of my clients and, and best friends. Now back then he had just hired me as an online coach. I didn't advertise that. I just did it a little bit on the side and uh, it had gone really well, especially after being on the, the podcast. And so decided to, to give that a whirl essentially for a couple months. And, uh, with the focus being on unbelievable service, I mean, look, the, the market for online coaching is in incredibly saturated. It's everywhere. Every Instagram butt model has their own, has their own line of online coaching. I won't take us, offense. About, <laughs> <laughs> could we, uh, could we actually provide a very high end service? Could we, was it worth it to have our clients video every lift they do on their cell phone, upload it to our app, break down every video they do, and and really, um, so so we were, you know, I I don't think there's anything wrong with programming, selling programming, templates, all that kind of stuff works just fine, especially works fine to the younger crowd that knows how to lift already. But when you're talking about dealing with those those executives and soccer dads who haven't lifted since 1987 in high school, uh, they need somebody to watch them squat, they need somebody to watch them deadlift because they don't know how. And so the programming is very simple in the beginning. It's just basic linear progression and then eventually has to get more complicated. So in the beginning, the, the form, the technique work, the technique coaching is the thing that's really where the, the bang for your buck is. And as time goes on and they become more, more advanced and a lot of them become really, really strong at 45 or 50 or 55 years old, um, the programming becomes more important and the, the form work probably becomes a little less because they're at that point, you're just tweaking the last two or three percent. Yeah, I think there's personalities involved in all of it too, and I, I don't think it'll ever change, regardless of demographic, age, uh, skill level. There's always a personality that just wants to read paper, follow paper. Uh, yeah. There's a personality that doesn't want to follow anything and just screw it. I'm going to go lift some weights. Uh, and then there's a personality that loves to be coached. I think there's some, and that on, honestly, it's probably the best kind of athlete to coach uh, <laughs> someone that wants to follow the rules. Yeah. And, uh, you know, depending on genetics, will end up being the best athlete or get the most results as someone that likes to be critiqued left and right. Um, I like being critiqued on like small details. If someone says like, oh, your squat's trash, I'm like, all right, I don't know about all that. But, uh, <laughs> you know, but if they're, they're tweaking little things and you can feel some progress, some people really enjoy that so i think even at the you know sure. talking about um your demographic or or even younger dudes or or the the top in powerlifting uh, i think if you take you know the top 100 powerlifters uh, right now i bet you that we could find those personalities stuck in there somewhere too for sure when you're when you're coaching someone um and reviewing all their lifts uh where do you draw the line between giving too much feedback and giving enough feedback Oh, that's a that's a great question. So I'll, I'll even let's do a, a prequel question to that, which is how different is feedback online than feedback in real time in real in in person? Yeah. It's very yeah. different, right? So 
I, I can literally yell at you between rep one and rep two and change right. things, right? Knees out more, sit back, you know, midfoot, get off your toes, like all those sort of things I can say in the middle of the set and I can help fix you from rep one to rep two or rep two to rep three. In online coaching, you can't do that at all. It's session to session. And for us, our feedback primarily comes in two different ways. So we either give typed written feedback, so we watch their videos and type up cues, or more often than not now, we actually do screen recordings. And so I actually record on, the, on my podcast mic like I'm talking on right now. I watch their video. I record me watching their video and giving them feedback as I'm watching it so they can see what I'm seeing in real time. The key in online coaching is to keep it keep you can only give them one or two cues per lift per session to fix and it has to be super memorable so it has to be like they ha- because they're not going to get it again they they have to remember it a day from now two days from now 72 hours from now when they go back in the gym it's not it's not I'm yelling a cue between rep 2 and rep 3 it's I, I'm telling you on Monday and I need you to remember it on Wednesday or Thursday and that's a different deal so very clean cues like very clear cues Oftentimes, when we do the screen recordings, we'll do that screen recording, but we'll also even type a little bulleted point. Squat, here's a bullet, main cue. Press, here's a bullet, main cue. Deadlift, here's a bullet, you know, whatever. And uh, so that they remember. And then you'll see, it's cool, because you'll see your clients, like, print, because so many of them train at home, they'll print out the cues, and they'll put them, like, on the wall in front of the squat rack or on the floor in front of the squat rack, so they'll look at the cue right before they squat, or so you know they're actually listening. Yeah, it makes sense. I know that for particularly for new lifters, sometimes in an in-person coaching situation, you can definitely give them too much feedback and make them self-conscious. And then they just start doing things wrong Yeah, in, in, in the effort to try to do things right. They, they, they just like, it's overload. It's like too much information. There's a lot that goes into coaching that I don't think people talk about. And even just hearing you talk a little bit here, it's just obvious how many people you've coached. <laughs> and some of it is trial and error. And I think some of it's inherent to being a coach where like Jim just said, like some people have all this knowledge and, and they just, they're spewing textbooks at you. Like, bro, little Jimmy just wants to squat to depth. Like, little Jimmy doesn't need to know what's going on, you know, with his knee valgus. You don't even have to say knee valgus to little fucking Jimmy, you know? You just uh, put him in the right spot. He doesn't doesn't know what it is. Yeah, Yeah. put him, and then then you're going to spend half an hour explaining it to him. Maybe one out of ten little Timmies want to know that, but no no one cares. Right. He, He wants to... Well, especially when you can just yell knees out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He wants he knees wants out. bigger quads, so they show at the bottom of his little That's short it. shorts at the beach, and he wants some abs. Like, give him what he wants, you know. And then, and then, you know, a soccer mom or whoever, they, they want to feel a little bit more empowered. They want to see the barbell go up. They want to, mm-hmm. you know, they want to feel confident, and strong, and yeah, they want to fit in their little bikini when they go to the Ozarks. See? Yeah, <laughs> throwing into Missouri is an Ozarks That's out there somewhere. <laughs> oh, I'm smacking. The oh, really? See, I knew it. I knew it. Oh, I'm in the mountains. Jason Bateman right and it's a Ruth, beautiful Ruth's out there. It's nothing. It's nothing like Damn the show. It. But the show's the great. show's amazing. That show's ridiculous. Uh, I'm I'm into season three. I haven't actually I've finished. Oh my it god, yet. such a great ending. Season yeah, three good. is so incredible. So yeah, it's 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 a great point, Mike. It, it's you know, um, what? How many things can you remember and think about at one time? The answer is yep. one. Yeah, that's it. Not two. So if you give them two cues on a lift. You can't give them two cues during the concentric phase. That doesn't work. You might be able to give them a cue on the eccentric, sit back, right? And a cue on the way back up, knees out, or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Drive your ass up, hip drive, midfoot, whatever those things are. And one is it, man. That's and like, and on a fast lift, like a power clean or a snatch, one cue. That's it. 
you cannot coach more than one cue on it. It's too fast. You can't you can't think about more than one thing on a clean. It's impossible. And so, good coaches, the best coaches, get their athletes, get their clients to move the way they want them to move in the least amount of words. And so, we one of the things we've done we haven't talked we haven't talked about this. I don't even know if you guys know that we do this, but we launched a a very in depth coaching academy back in October of eighteen. So the, our, we, we have something we call the Coaching Academy, what a lot of people call the Barbell Logic Coaching Academy. It's, it's listen, I get it that, like, I would love people to sign up because it makes us some money. Regardless of that, it is the best educational tool that's ever been put out for becoming a great coach. But you will find people, Mike, that's exactly like what you talked about. They know everything. They have the knowledge for everything. But they don't have the experience of coaching. So they come into So then we'll do seminars and camps and we'll teach people. We'll have them coach and we'll, we'll critique their coaching. And they're just, it's just like verbal diarrhea. Yeah. They're just spewing on people. There's too many words and they can't. And you realize like, oh, the, the people that are the best professionals at what they do can do it in the least amount of words or the least amount of work or the most efficient manner. That's really what separates the professionals from the from the Dunning-Kruger effect, from I think I know all this stuff, but I don't really know how to do it, and they just don't Yeah, know. I think um, obviously you can learn and get better at coaching just as you can get learn and get better at squats, but so much of it, it is kind of like, I don't know if it's genetic or personality. Like, if you look at other sports and, and who are some of the best coaches, like, they're insanely charismatic. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, the Michael Jordan documentary is coming out right now and is really popular, but if you hear, like, Phil Jackson talk, and then, and then they tell the stories of how he relates to each individual player, how he communicates with each player, how he changes his tone, it Reminds me a lot of my high school basketball coach, which like all this stuff kind of hit. And so I'm down nostalgia lane right now. My high school basketball <laughs> coach is um, uh, coached for, I don't even know, 50, 40 years now. He, oh, he's, he's probably only 50 years old, but he started coaching <laughs> when he was 10. He started coaching when he was like 20. Uh, he oh, really? played a okay. little bit of pro baseball and then and then started coaching high school basketball and doing PE. And he's done it ever since. Huh. I don't I think he's had like one losing season. Regardless of the level of basketball or sport, like it was a really small school, but like just insane statistics. Um, and he's writing a book right now. And so he reached out to me a couple of weeks ago and was like, hey, you want to write a couple of pages in here just about your experience? Because I played with him um, or for him for four years and then I coached with him for five. And and some of the tools, he's insanely charismatic. He can go mm-hmm. to a bar and talk to any human. Mm-hmm. He can go coach anything it's like the uh, I, I dropped out of college i don't know really what it is communications major and you have to go up uh, up uh, front and you got to teach how to make peanut butter and jelly oh or something. Yeah, you know it's like stuff like that yeah, yeah 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 like the tools like that like yeah. if you just do that naturally our buddy kyle uh yeah. who's 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 working on a project with me and jim he's like that like you can just talk to people so sadly like what i'm getting at is some of you bastards out there are going to be <laughs> shitty coaches regardless <laughs> of anything because there are there's so many tools and reading humans and empathy and 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 when to push when to pull back like it's more being like a psychologist in a way yeah. um and and being you know the interpersonal relationship and how to communicate with someone and you said even online like one you can only focus on one cue and then one cue doesn't work for everyone it just doesn't like it might not click with sally as it does with Mm -hmm. stephanie over here you're gonna have to maybe you have to explain it to stephanie maybe sally you just say yo midfoot and she just gets it and she starts balancing her squat yeah actually you know somebody that that i always think about in that in that regard in terms of the charisma is kelly sturette yeah 
Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Kelly knows his stuff for sure, yeah, and yeah. and he's 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 got so many reps in 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 seeing different athletes in different situations and stuff too. But the thing that makes his presentation sure. so good is that he's just super charismatic and he just connects with people just like that. And There's tons. Jen Wiederstrom, yeah, another person. She knows a bunch about uh, you know fitness and nutrition, and then you're like, yeah, duh. Like it makes sense for her to be on TV coaching it because she's the same way in person. Like she yeah. can control a room, she can control a one-on-one conversation, and she can relate to what's going on. Yeah. yeah, and that's I think that's the stuff that can't be taught, you know, so it's just like you said we we often hire we, we hire lots of coaches, but we often will hire on personality first. We can teach them the coaching yeah. skills. We can teach them the coaching eye. We can teach them those th- those sort of things, but you can't teach personality. There's nothing nothing about it. I mean, you're you're if you're extroverted and you're a people person, and you know how to communicate well, we can teach you how to be a coach if you care enough to learn. Uh, but you see those people who are very introverted and they're socially awkward. They're a little bit on the Asperger scale. <laughs> You're like, hey, man. This We're is not, live not, on Twitch right now, and you just called out the entire audience. You just called out the well, entire well, audience. But here's the thing. like those, The thing about, and actually, we joke about a bunch of my staff, I would even say are probably on that sort of that autism scale just a little <laughs> bit. But here's the thing. They're actually pretty good with computer programmers, coaching those guys. Yeah. And they're really good with writing articles, and they're really good, you know, they're great content producers. And so while they may not be the one up at the front of the room leading the seminar because they don't have the, the, that infectious personality to do so, uh, dude, they, they make us better coaches. Their eye is incredible. They question everything. They, they are uber skeptic. And I don't mean to an to a annoying sort of point, but you start thinking about those things that we all have talked about for years, like why do we squat? Why the midfoot? Why does that even matter? Yeah. And you start thinking about it, and you go, "Oh, well, like we can't just, we can't accept anything as true without understanding the why behind it." So rather than you know, I think about like the way I learned math growing up. Math is just you you memorize all the equations, right? X equals negative b plus or minus the square root of b squared minus four. You see, all over two a <laughs> like that's the. But I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. Yeah, you lost me too. Yeah. Right. And so the thing is, is like as opposed to what we're doing, which I think is more like Newtonian physics or Newtonian math, where it's like we really understand the why behind what we're doing. And those coaches make that they really flesh that out for us. And so one of the things I never thought about in my in my business, of course, somebody rings the doorbell and it's probably the <laughs> it's Amazon. It is, in fact, the UPS guy. And now my dog. Hopefully it's your little shit. fancy German hey. drinks. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Every time I record. No worries. All right. So, sorry. We'll try that again. Uh, yeah, I mean, they, you know, I don't, hell, I don't remember where I was what. That, that, you know, they turn us into skeptics and you think about everything and it forces you to think about the whys behind the house and it's a, it's a big advantage. It's funny how well people uh, who are like that telegraph their personalities. My wife's a nurse and she says if she comes into a, um, someone's hospital room and the stuff on their like bedside tray is all organized in a particular fashion, she will say, so what kind of engineer are you? Right. And it's like, yeah. no, I'm not an engineer. You're an accountant then, right? It's like, yep, I'm an accountant. Yeah. It, it's just yeah. like, it. everybody has a way they like things sure. and it just telegraphs all that stuff to the world. And the smart, empathetic people are the ones that can pick up on, okay, this is how this person's going to want to be communicated. They're going to want right. a little bit too much information because they because they need it. They can't justify their actions unless they know too much. And yeah. And then, my, you know, Mike, you hit on this, and I don't even know if you recognize that you hit on it, but in that you think about the, in the documentary uh, on The Last Dance with the Bulls, which is freaking amazing, uh, Phil Jackson is this incredible coach, right? But who wasn't a great coach? Michael Jordan was. Yeah. yeah. 
Now, weird. Why, why? Right? Well, like, Phil Jackson was obviously a good basketball player. He played in the NBA, but he wasn't a great basketball player. Yeah. He was a mediocre professional basketball player, and he'd work his ass off for what he accomplished, and it made him a better coach. Jordan had a work ethic that no one has ever seen before or since, but he also got a bigger return on investment on that work. And so it didn't make sense to him why other people wouldn't work as hard as him, and he didn't get it. Like, they didn't get the same return on the investment. And, and, I, and I'm not making excuses for guys that didn't work as hard as Michael Jordan. I think, you know, I was a, I'm a child of the 80s and 90s. Like, that guy was my hero growing up. But the reality is he's a bad, he's a bad coach. And it's interesting in the fitness world, we see this all the time, uh, and and it, it started in my early days thinking about like bodybuilding, right? Like people would look at like what Ronnie Coleman did when I was a kid. And they're like, well, I'm going to do what Ronnie Coleman does. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Ronnie Coleman has no ability to coach, right? Yeah. And like, I think he's awesome. He's incredible. He's jacked. He's huge. But Ronnie Coleman's genetics and drugs and like you didn't have, you don't have that. Yeah. And instead, I want to, I want to find the bodybuilder, the power lifter, the strong man, um, I won my pro card and strongman in 06, the same show that, that Brian Shaw did. And we've been friends for years, and I turned into a little business owner, and he turned into the world's first man. Are you not 6'8"? You know, I, I, <laughs> I wanted to find the strongmen and the powerlifters and those guys who were very mediocre, like painfully average, and work their ass off to get good or even on the level of great. I don't want to – I don't – you know, I remember the old stories of Andy Bolton deadlifting 600 pounds the first time yeah. he ever deadlifted. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a guy I don't want to learn how to deadlift from. I respect the hell out of that guy. Yeah, yeah. But, like, listen, man. I, listen, if you deadlift 600 pounds when you're 15, the first time you touch a barbell, I really am not interested in you teaching me how to deadlift. Yeah, I made those. Because you're just – it's just God-given ability. Yeah, I made those same references to Jordan and Phil Jackson all the time about coaching. And for some reason, I think uh, people understand it in other sports, but it doesn't click in fitness. And the same concept of I always say – I did this on Twitter like five years ago, and people were so mad. All, the, all you little pansies out there were so <laughs> upset. Uh, that, that hard work doesn't beat talent. Uh, I have I have in, in inside stories of people in the NBA that uh, and, and now you see it with like a guy like Dennis Rodman who's in Vegas drunk all weekend comes back and is the best defender in the NBA. Yeah, you're telling yeah. me he works harder than I did at basketball. Yeah, no fucking yeah. way. I worked so hard and I barely made you know I made JUCO basketball. <laughs> you know, like there's different there's different levels to this and it's the same thing in lifting. Like. I understand you guys out there really put a badge on like, man, I work hard. I did five sets of six on 315 bench. Right. Like, all right, bro. I'm not saying you don't work hard, but I'm just saying like like you just referenced, uh, you know, Eddie Cohen. I love Eddie Cohen to death, but I think he pulled 405 the first time he touched a barbell. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Like, all right, yeah, motherfucker. Like, yeah. I, the guy was built in like eternity past by God to be the greatest power yeah. of all time. But for some reason. And he worked his ass yeah, off. Sure. It's not that he didn't sure. work. It's just that other people have worked just as hard as Ed Cohen. And have worked harder than Ed Cohn, and will still never be yeah. Ed Cohn. He's, he's five that's three. A, that's just not possible. Right. His arms are nine feet long. He's got the hands of a of you know um, yeah. Oh, what's his name? The guy Kawhi from Leonard. Uh, yeah, yeah, possibly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's a he's picture just, going on the internet. It's Kawhi Leonard. I can't even tell if it's photoshopped. He's he's high fiving. I'm a, obviously a basketball head. He's high fiving. I think Paul George, who's another six nine adult all star male, yeah. and it looks like he's holding his infant's hand on the. <laughs> like a baby it looks hand. like it looks so insane. I swear it was photoshopped, but I don't think it is. Oh, I I remember going to the um, to the Nike store in in Portland years ago, and they had like. Shaq's handprint yeah, yeah. and his footprint. It's like no, yeah, different not, humans. Yeah, these are this is a different species. Yep, different this is something else than. 
Yeah, but for some me. reason, in, 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 in lifting, you go to the guy with the biggest biceps to learn how to get jacked, and you go to the guy with the biggest bench to learn how to bench, but I'm, I'm 100% with you. Like, what about the guy? And, and, and the opposite of that, someone could have worked really hard, be mediocre, and not have learned shit. Like, you have to be open and receptive sure. and want to learn. Um, but I think we're on the same page where, like, yeah, like, Phil Jackson was into it. He was into humans. He was into mm. strategy. He was into um, pulling yep. a team together. And, and Jordan uh, had, like, the craziest drive just to be the best and do whatever mm. it takes. So he might have not – and not that Jordan probably, again, doesn't have that knowledge to coach. That dude might know some X and O's that no one can understand. And, and LeBron – Oh, you know he does. But remember, this is the guy who the infamously doesn't make the varsity team his sophomore Yeah, year. yeah. Practices real hard in the offseason and comes back and isn't the best player on his team the junior year. He's like the best player in the country yeah. his junior yeah. year. Now, think about that. That's I don't know. I've never heard of that story, right? Like kids who are great basketball players at the high schools that I went to and the high schools I've coached at, they come out of eighth grade and they start varsity their freshman year because they're freaks. They don't not make the team. Was that you, Mike? That's me. At your one A school. I was five eight. I was five eight in eighth grade. I haven't grown since, but I was a savage. But you know, you don't hear of this. Like here's a, here's this kid who comes out of, he like he doesn't make the team his sophomore year. In his junior year, he's pretty much the best yep. player in in the United States. Yep. That is a payoff on work that he's never going to get out of anybody he coaches. And so you're right. Hard work never beats talent. Right. But here's the thing. Can't control talent. Right. Yeah. You have no you have no control over that, but you can always control the hard work. And that was my deal with the business stuff at this point. Man, I, I love to lift. I still love to lift. I squatted and deadlifted this morning. It's a blast. I love to coach. I love to coach more than I love to lift at this point. But here's what I really love. I love growing business. Yeah. Mm. Not to get I don't care, dude. I'm not greedy. I don't get you know, I live in Missouri. You can live like a king on hundred thousand dollars a year in Missouri. That's not it at all. I love the, the challenge of growing business. I love the challenge of being able to provide well for my staff, for being able to reach you know, thousands and thousands of people. That, that's, where, that's where my passion is. And here's the thing. I know there are people that are wired better to, to be better at business than me, but I'm not going to get outworked. I'm not going to be outread. I'm going to read more books. And I'm going to work more hours, and I'm going to get up at 4 in the morning because, and because I love it, not because, like, you know, hashtag rise and grind. Like, let me show you how... <laughs> disciplined I am I like getting up at 4 30 and working I love it and so that's that's the thing and that's the thing with with lifting or sports or whatever it is like you can't control the talent but you can control the work yeah you know I this in contrast in somewhat sharp contrast to what you're saying like I I'm one of those people that absolutely has to have a deadline to to be inspired and it, it almost always has to be in the middle of the night and I was actually talking to my therapist about this last time I had an appointment uh, and said, I don't really know what to, to say about that. And it's like, I really wish it was a different thing, but that's just kind of me. Like I, my brain doesn't focus until I have a deadline until I'm, until I'm scared about performing poorly. Yeah. And I have a short period of time for inspiration to strike. Inspiration doesn't just strike me all the time. And he's like, well, why can't you just say that that's how you work? Right. Why can't you just like build that into your life? It's like, okay, so I'm going to spend hours ruminating on some stupid thing in my head while I'm doing other stuff. Well, so I'm sometimes just dilatory time, just like bullshit stuff. And when I sit down to actually make something happen under, under stress, under on sometimes duress, then it's all going to come together and it's going to be fine. And it's going to be largely better than somebody who had a better plan than me for the work, yeah, yeah. but 
but my my final product is probably going to be better. And if you give me one chance at revising that, that's probably going to be really, really good. Well, I think that's uh, the key to everything is just like knowing yourself, right? If you know the self-awareness, like you enjoy waking up at 4.30. Like I hate working up at 4.30. Yeah, if, I don't get, if I don't get nine hours to 10 hours of sleep, I'm like a going through second puberty lately (laughs) then and then i won't i won't i won't be productive and if i'm i but if i get that sleep i can do more in an hour than most can do in 10 hours like i can like unlike jim i can just bang it out like it's sitting on my head like all right i gotta write this thing for my coach and book i just bang like i'm done yeah um but if you know that then yeah you just set yourself up like all right fuck it i'm gonna sleep in today i'll be working at midnight tonight you know like and, and that's what everyone does rather than forcing it and you know to translate to lifting or something like you fucking think conventional deadlifts are so cool like yeah, but you pull 800 sumo like man it might just be time to pull a sumo yeah like, exactly. like it's not that big of a deal you, you can train your conventional deadlift all you want yeah. to but when you compete you post know you, you want more on, sumo yeah post what you want on instagram but it's yeah. time to pull 800 timmy that's right yeah for sure going back to business a little bit how do you know um kind of like when to pull the trigger you said you knew early you know the the, the gym thing seemed to kind of figure its way out because you're you're getting bought out and the seems like good money good decision um but then you go online and you said you kind of felt out uh that your, where your demographic was he- uh, headed and where your kind of niche was in that online coaching that you'd bring the customer service and you'd hit this more executive level of client is that by like market research is that by reading a book is that sure. by taking a survey online or is that just like a gut feeling run after it or, or trial and error because personally i'm no business i mean i love business as well i'm kind of similar to you but i just bash my head against the wall until something breaks like well <laughs> that's a stud all right here's some drywall like <laughs> yeah I, it's a great question I, I i think i just i think i found that niche at at strong gym at the gym that i owned and it was because um, I don't feel this way anymore. As a matter of fact, I've sort of made amends in, in later years, but I got so burnt out and tired of the competitive powerlifting, strongman, bodybuilding athlete crowd. I was just like, you know, and, the, and it was just like, and it, a lot of those are great guys and, and great ladies, but a lot of them weren't. And, you know, there's a lot of drama and most of them don't have any money and they bounce their credit cards <laughs> and stuff. And then I realized like, oh man, 45-year-old dudes don't bounce their credit cards. They, they, you know, they stay and they focus and they do boring training and they can do linear progression and come in and squat every single session and they don't complain. And like, you know, like other, it was just that, it was almost like I needed to get, get away from millennials <laughs> to find a group of people that, what, you know, like you were talking about earlier, like some, some people just don't want to be told what to do. And I didn't want to work with that yeah. group of people. Yeah. Not because I'm tr- I need to be somebody's boss, because I because I can tell you how to get strong and how to get healthy. And I would you know, and I want you to be able to listen and love it. And and so I think I just found that niche. I think part of it for me was in the natural progression that I had moved out of that sort of lifestyle. So I had been a competitive powerlifter since 1997, and I was an elite level powerlifter at, in four different weight classes, and then moved on to strongman and won my pro card. And then when the gym, I, I, I opened the gym in 2008, I stopped competing as a pro in 2009 because those things really sort of, I just couldn't do both. Mm. And I was never going to be, I went from being a really good, like one of the, well, maybe the best amateur strongman in the country to the worst pro strongman in the country. You know, now, now I'm competing against Zadrunas Savickas and Brian Shaw. Brian Shaw, who weighed 295 at the time, Brian <laughs> Shaw, right? Not, not 450 Brian Shaw. And I was still getting my ass beat. And so I think it for me, I was moving into that time of life anyway. I was married. I had kids. I was moving to that sort of like, I liked business. And so it just seemed like a natural fit 
for the niche, and it, it has been very profitable for us. And uh, man, our churn, uh, so for your churn is how, what percentage of clients you lose every month. And in an internet business, 10% is kind of the number. If you lose more than 10% of your clients per month, that's like highway to the danger zone. But under 10% is pretty good, right? For the life of my company, we've been under 5%. And I know because I just did the end of month for, for last month. In the middle of COVID, we were at 3.3. Now, yeah, that's good. why do investors knock on the door and want to give me millions of dollars? Because we got a 3.3% churn rate. And our people start spending $220 a month plus and on up from there. And so they don't leave. And so, you know, again, what I found is that competitive powerlifters leave because they broke. Yeah. Competitive powerlifters like leave their job. They like, and I, I love powerlifting. I love watching Thor pull 501. That's freaking amazing doing that stuff. But that demographic is not a demographic to build a $100 million business on. I know that sounds crazy because I'm talking in the, in, the, in the strength world. Like, how is it even possible to do that? And the reality is, is that most people aren't thinking on that level. Yeah. Uh, most people are just like, look, I just want to like, you know, I just want to make a good living and train good people. And I think a lot of people would rather train the athletes and have the names and go to the Arnold and go to the, the big competitions, go to the IPF worlds, and they get to be like, I'm their coach, you know, yeah. like that. And then there's nothing wrong with that at all. That's just not who we are. I, just, I would just rather reach more people. I would rather, and not to put money in my pocket, because again, I couldn't care less. It's more about can I, can I, can I change the lives of more coaches? Can I change the lives of more clients? I really believe in this, this sort of gospel of strength training. I think it actually works. I think it changes people's lives. I think it refines people via voluntary hardship. I don't think it's the best thing in the world. I think there are other things that are more important, uh, but I think it's it works generally really well for everybody. And so if I can convince 45-year-old soccer moms to do it, then I'm going to because it's going to change their life. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to make their quality of life better for the next 40 years so that when most 45-year-olds start the long decline towards death in their mid-70s, my people keep their quality of life very, very high. And then one day they just die, yeah. <laughs> which isn't that actually what we all want. Yeah. 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 And so that's the goal. And not only uh, everything you said, I agree with, and I actually feel myself too. Uh, and maybe I'm just too naive and dumb, but I still hate everyone in powerlifting and bodybuilding. But uh, <laughs> I, I they think, say such nice things about you, though. So. Fuck them all. Uh, I think you. Um, I think. I think the impact you have on those type of people. Not only are they more receptive normally to what you're coaching and teaching, but the, the, the impact is greater, right? Like the soccer mom's going from an elliptical a couple times a week to strength training. Like her her sure. her improvement's going to be insane. Where if you take someone who squats 400 and you you know lead them slowly to to squat. 450 like one he's going to be ungrateful he's going to find something to pick apart in my programming two he's just a little snobby little bitch and going to hop on the next coach or program in two weeks exactly like you said and 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 sadly i i am a millennial and i do think it's entitlement and i do think mm -hmm. it's a, it's like a uh i don't know if it's the parents or i don't know what i'm no psychologist or sociologist but it is they're just like selfish and and like you said no, these people that have been powerlifting, they've been powerlifting five years, and now all of a sudden they're jujitsu, CrossFit, uh, uh, backflip kids. That's right. Mm -hmm. like, all, yeah, right that's right. all right, bro. Like that, you you just you just honestly threw away the only good thing, in my opinion, of powerlifting, which is teaching you discipline over a long period of time. <laughs> like like yep. yeah, my quads are strong. No one really cares. I don't have to use my quads in everyday life that much. Like there's no real applicable purpose for me to squat 600 pounds in the year 2020. 
it's just me waking up every morning and squatting when I don't want to squat and forcing yeah. myself to do it. And you just threw that out the window. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's interesting that the, the, the style of training, like the great thing about powerlifting is the way they train. Yeah. If you can teach 45, 55 year old people how to train like powerlifters and strongmen and throw in the actual conditioning. And I'm talking about powerlifting today, right? Like in powerlifting, certainly like when Jim and I were coming up in it, it was like, you know, it was it was the Dave Tates and the West Side. It was like let's get be four hundred fifty pounds and fat, sure. and then mm-hmm. and then like things changed over the last ten or fifteen years. But so you know, if you train like Chris Duffin, if you train like Larry Wheels, if you train like like you don't have to be a big fat ass. Like it's you can actually get incredible benefit from squatting and deadlifting and bench pressing and press doing the main lifts and a few exercises, accessory exercise, doing some body weight stuff. And and you're right, it's a it's way more beneficial. Uh, I think there's a there's a really cool thing about taking an 18 year old kid or 17 year old kid and turning them into a starter from a bench player. That's cool. Yeah. But let me tell you what's more cool. I, I started coaching a lady several years ago. She was 79 years old. Her name's Sybil. Now she's 84. Sybil's had a double hip replacement, knee replacement. Her entire back's fused together, and all that of course happened before I ever met her. I trained her son a few times, and he's like 60. And he was like, boy, I wish you'd train my mom. You know, I was like, I'll train your mom, you know. And so, but she wouldn't come to a gym. She'd never been to a gym. She'd never touched a bar. And she never walked through the doors of a gym. And I went to her house and she made me biscotti and we'd get biscotti <laughs> and coffee and we ate it. And then I taught her how to squat out of her dining room chair that day. And I taught her how to do push ups on a wall with her feet lined up at the place where I put the masking tape on the floor. And today, Four years later, she deadlifts 155 for sets of five. She squats, she bench presses, she overhead presses. You know, she couldn't get off the toilet five years ago, four years ago. She she couldn't get in and out of her car. Her brain, super sharp, amazing lady, tells great stories, but her body was broken and, and her next step was the nursing home. She had been a widow for seven years. Most of her kids live in the Pacific Northwest. Like she that was it. She was going to a nursing home. Yeah. And on a kind of a latch dis- last ditch effort, her kids hired hired me to coach her. And it wasn't me. And by the way, like Sybil's not the exception to the rule. If eighty year old people will just do this, they'll get strong and their quality of life will get better. Sybil went and bought a sports car with a little spoiler, a little red sports car. She gets on <laughs> got a new toilet, boyfriend. She's she's that's right, man. Posted she's like booty she's pics. tearing it up. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> and that's Sybil. And so to me, like I and it's listen, I don't get to train a ton of people in their eighties. But it makes a huge difference. Like that's the people's life that gets truly changed, and it's super cool. Uh, I'm going to ask you to put a prognosticator cap on for a moment, <clears throat> and and this is a two part question, uh, and they're okay. only semi related to each other. Question one is: What is like gym training going to look like when the gyms open up again? Do you think? Okay. And these, I don't get the second part. The, I got to give you part one first. Uh, I, well, you actually, I'll give you, I'll give you part two, and then you can do, um, then you can choose whichever okay. one you want to take first. And uh, the other one is like, what is the future of online training? We have, you know, apps, and 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 there are now like um, devices that connect to phones, and they can give feedback on all sorts of things, and blood pressure, and and pulse sure. ox, and you know, whatever. So. Yeah, either one of those that you want to take first. Yeah, so the first one, obviously, nobody really knows what society is going to look like uh, when we all try to get back to normal. Today's actually the first day in Missouri they've kind of semi-opened things. Yeah, interesting. Uh, Today is the first day, and so we haven't been out yet. Um, Well, I I sent my my assistant to go wash my truck, which hadn't been washed in like eight (laughs) weeks and was covered in mud. But 
because I knew I figured the car wash was open, but we haven't <laughs> been to a restaurant yet or anything. You know, they're all operating at like half capacity yeah. or whatever. Uh, you know, I, I think with gyms, I think that I think they're going to struggle. And I thought gyms were going to struggle for a while anyway. I think that you're going to see a bigger movement towards training at home. I, I If you have a phenomenal environment to train in, those gyms will always be successful. Right. So if you have a place where people are supported and cared about and and those gyms that build confidence rather than rob people of confidence, I think they'll do well. Um, I think that the low service cheap gyms will actually continue to do just fine as well. You know, maybe not the planet fitnesses of the world because I think things have moved. Although even you'll even see planet fitness starting to move more towards there's more planet fitness with more kind of barbells and um. kind of crossfitty rigs and stuff that never been because it's an impacted the fitness world like that. So I think you're going to see one of two. I think you're going to see people who want to pay 20 bucks a month, 30 bucks a month for cheap. I just want to be able to get into a gym. You know, again, executives that travel all the time that want to get a membership to a 24-hour fitness or an anytime fitness or there's a you know lifetime fitness. There's a million of them all over the place. I think I think you'll see them train there, and I think you'll see the rise of high-service gyms. And it doesn't necessarily. I, I I almost want to use the word boutique there, and and that's going to turn off the powerlifting crowd. But the reality is, what we did at Strong, we were a boutique gym. Yeah, we train like powerlifters and strongmen, but. It was impeccably clean. Yeah, yeah. It smelled clean. The service was amazing. Here's the towel. It was like, it, you know, it was the service at a boutique personal training studio, but with the style of training that you get at Westside Barbell or a hardcore CrossFit gym or, or something like that. So I think, I think you may continue to see that. I think that you're going to see a lot more people train at home. I think for us in my own programming, I think programming people to do a lot more body weight stuff and movement stuff. I think is going to impact my programming when I can bring back the barbells. I think that I don't, I'm never going to get rid of barbells. I think squats and deadlifts are the key, but I, I think that I had gotten away from things like, you know, chins and dips and pushups and pull-ups and lunges and kettlebell swings. And I think those things, while I wouldn't spend a ton of time on it, I'd still probably give 10 to 20% of my training time back to that. I think that people are going to want to do that. I think you're going to see a lot more people want to train outside. I think training outside is fun. I think that people got to do that for the first time over the last several months. And so I think those are some of the things that you're going to see uh, as gyms start to open. And I think those gyms that were the gyms that, the, the, again, not throwing any specific affiliate under the bus, but like a, the gold gym type model, the $50 a month, the $60 a month, the $70 a month for kind of mid-level service, they're going to die. Yeah, because I, it's going to be nineteen dollars a month and no service, or it's going to be one hundred seventy nine a month and lots of service. Yeah, I I just saw today that Gold's Gym filed for bankruptcy. Oh, interesting. Oh, did they really? Yeah, yeah. and yep. so I mean, I think that exactly what you're saying because uh, they're going to have to streamline to reduce yeah. costs, and that you can't do high touch and low cost at the same time. Yeah, you cannot. That is correct. It's uh, the weird. Yeah, it, you either you either sell double cheeseburgers for a dollar or you sell filet mignon. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it is just that, that's it. Gyms have just always been weird because half of more than half of them. I mean, I don't have the exact stats, but let's say probably eighty percent are literally just people paying a fee to feel good. They just want to feel that that's they right. have a gym membership and yeah. don't go to, and don't even use the bitch. Right? I mean, that's how the well, goals. You know, I actually know the exact percentage. I bet you do hit because me because we we pitched. Well, yeah. we we had a big corporate contract that we were. We uh we were closing a couple weeks ago, and I know that and the corp and the corporation was paying 
for gym memberships, right? Oh, yeah. 18% of people who have gym memberships attend the gym consistently. What did I say? 80? Oh, right there. (laughs) Right? So it's crazy. And one of the things that the the corporation loved about us is we keep compliance ratings and attendance ratings on on every single client. So we know exact compliance percentage at seven days... 30 days, 90 days, and lifetime for every client. So if, if a corporation's paying for somebody and they're like, what's their attendance? I'm like, mm, 93% lifetime, right? And they're like, shit, you've got those, you got that data? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, so I, I think that's, that's one. And, you know, and then the, to the second part of your question, the online piece, I think you're, gonna, you're mostly going to see two directions there as well, right? You're going to see a continued growth of, um, of, of purchasing online programming, I think that's going to come more and more via app and clean. It's going to be less Excel spreadsheets and it's going to be more with like decent apps and, and whatnot. And it's going to be cheap and it's going to be, and there's, I really don't mean this in a negative way when I say it's sort of like the dollar double cheeseburger, by the way, sometimes I love dollar double cheeseburgers. They're delicious sure. when that's what you want. There's nothing wrong with mm-hmm. it. Right. And then I think you're going to see very high end, high touch, uh, expert coaching if you're willing to spend the money on it. And obviously, the problem with that end, which is what we do, the bottleneck is with the expert coaches. You can't scale to a billion-dollar business because there's not enough expert coaches in the world, and you can't make enough expert coaches in the world yeah. to be able to reach the number of people for like high-touch service. And so the reason we, we launched the Academy back in, in 18 was so we could help make more expert coaches because we knew that was where the bottleneck was going to be for us. And so you'll see that. Certainly, five years from now, 10 years from now, you're going to continue to see this. You're going to see a lot of these third-party softwares that are going to do some of or lots of the technical coaching. I, I don't want to, as a guy who's a technical coach, I'm not going to be the steel industry of the 70s and act like it's going to come back and never, you know, it's never going to go away. The reality is, is that the day is coming. Where, like iPhones already have three lenses on them. Mm-hmm. They can read depth, right? So the day is coming when somebody squats and it's going to be like, your knees need to come back an inch. Like it's you're going to be able to take your body type, yeah. you know, the length of your torso, your femur, and your shank, and then of course for presses and bench pressing, your your humerus and your forearm, and it's going to know exactly what your squat should look like, and you're going to video from the side, kind of like one of those, you know, a coach's eye is kind of the you know, the archaic primitive version mm-hmm. of that, and it's going to watch you squat, and it's going to say that was 91 percent correct. If you get back on your heels a little more, your knees get out a little more, bend over a little more, whatever the thing is you can bring it up to 100. And I think that, but I think that again, Mike talked about this earlier, the thing that that can never replace, or what, man, we are like, I'm gonna be long since retired or dead, is it can't replace the, the psychology portion of what we do. Yeah. When somebody pays you 200, 300, 400, $500 a month to coach them, they're not just looking for technique, and the technique is a big part of it. They're, look, they're looking for a friend, they're looking for a psychologist, a psychiatrist, somebody to be a counselor to them, and, a, and an algorithm on a program can't do that. And so I certainly think that's coming. I hope that businesses like ours who are kind of on the cutting edge that we'll be able to use those programs to augment our coaching. But I think there are going to be a lot of people left out in the cold. You know, I think you've already seen this with some of the other companies that are offering sort of AI programming. And I think as that algorithm gets cleaned up, the program, listen, programming is, if you figure out programming, programming is simple. It's actually not very complicated, right? And by the time you get to be a guy like a Larry Wheels, who's the best of the best, his programming's probably got to be pretty complicated. And I think, you know, Gaglione trains him and probably does a pretty good job. But like how many people need that sort of complicated programming? Not very many people. Yeah. So, so programming doesn't have to be that complicated. What's complicated? 
Technique. And what's more complicated than technique? Human. Psychology. <laughs> that's right. They're yeah. human. Yeah. So that's where I think it's going. Yeah, I think so too. And I think uh, not only with the psychology and, you know, I, I don't know the depths of your brand or, or, or what you guys do, but other people, um, obviously community in person, I agree 1000% is going to be key to any gym in person is going to be community and environment. Mm-hmm. But I think there is some of that online. And obviously I'm sure. biased because I stream on Twitch and stuff like that. But like, the community you can build through something like that or, or going back maybe, you know, five years as a fitness Facebook group or support group mm-hmm. or, or what, book clubs, right? Like go all the way back to the to the turn of the of the millennium and where everybody was in a, a bulletin board forum yeah, kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, forums. That's right. Like That's right. I think that kind of stuff will always be true regardless of what you said, regardless of any kind of AI video camera telling me my you know sumo isn't good mm-hmm. or whatever i think there's always going to want to be human interaction and that's where i am even torn on my own personal preference on whether i like to train at home or train in a gym yeah um what's uh something again business wise when you're looking on like obviously technology is coming and you're staying up to date on that maybe maybe some something actually comes out of no offense to all my scientist friends they're all very smart and and like to uh teach me many things i learned everything from them so this may sound wrong but but maybe something you know earth shattering comes out of the science world and you change up your methods a little bit um which is probably unlikely but new information comes out and most of it whatever beside the point what what are things when when do you know to kind of maybe evolve or scale your company or when to kind of just like keep doubling down on what you're doing like like you said your coaching academy that sounds to me like you're just doubling down on what you're doing like we have the best coaches i want to make more good coaches and we're going to continue to do this really 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 well right um, McDonald's. Okay, we got a single burger. We got this Big Mac thing, and now all of a sudden they got fucking pastrami and fish sandwiches in the year 2020. They're really sure. <laughs> expanding, in in my opinion, in a bad way. No one wants a fucking fish sandwich from McDonald's, <laughs> especially not with pastrami on it. Yeah, whatever. Uh, story yeah. So when do you know? You know, or or, or, or when you're in person? Uh, you know, when with your brick and mortar, similar things, right? All right, we got the strength and conditioning equipment. When do I go buy the TRX, or when do I sure. start a yoga class, or something like that? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I mean, I, I think ultimately it all comes down to how you're going to define success. And again, <laughs> for people that know, like profitability is not where it's all at. But but if you're doing a business, profitability has to be part of that. Yeah. It has to be, yeah. right? And so uh, one of the things about about expanding, if if you have 25 clients or 30 clients and you are, you are in a 10% cash burn, so you're spending 10% more than you make, and you increase to 60 clients, that's not getting better. Right. You just get a bigger cash burn. 10% of 60 clients is more money than 10% of 30 clients, right? And so that's a big part of it is that people try to scale. Because it's, like, it's, you know, it's, it's people that have babies to fix their marriage. That never works, <laughs> right? Like yeah. if you have a non-profitable business and you have 30 clients, going to 60 clients or expanding doesn't make you profitable. So you better figure out the profit margins first. And, like, and, the, and it's very different if you're online or in person. The Strong Gym for us, we were, we were decently profitable, but not nearly as profitable as I ever wanted to be because we were a 15,000 square foot freestanding building that we bought. It was like running a spaceship, man. The, like my, my electric bill was $3,000 a month, and I'm in Missouri. you know. And so, um, and so for, for us, if I, if I ever ran an in-person business again, which I won't, but if I did, I would look at profitability per square foot. How much profitability can you get out of a specific client? One of the downsides of CrossFit is that CrossFit has a massive footprint per client. Somebody's going to do 50 yards of walking lunges. That takes up a lot of space in your gym. 
And if you do, if you, one of the things I love about powerlifting or strength training style training is that you can put everybody on an eight by eight platform. You can put a bench on that platform. You can put a barbell on that platform. Yeah. You can put a weight tree on that platform by like an RML six that's got the weight storage on it. And in an eight by eight platform, you can have one to four people training in a single eight by eight spot and never move. And so you can extract profitability out of that. And so if you figure that out, okay, I've got three racks. They're all profitable. I can go to six racks. Online coaching is a similar sort of thing. Like for, for me, I did online coaching for an entire year on my own. And I had about 125 clients and I was dying because I was breaking all, their, breaking all their videos down. And I said, I got to figure out how to scale this thing. And I figured out how to scale. I'm not going to give lots of details for how I figured that out. But I figured out how to scale. I had a good system in place. And I'll, I'll tell you this. This other thing people don't want to do is they don't want to get to systems and standard operating procedures. I spent a ton of time writing technical writing about how we do everything. And let me be clear. Nobody wants to do that. I didn't want to do that. Yeah. Technical writing about how to on-ramp a new client, that stuff sucks. But here's the deal. I, have, I don't have to on-ramp anybody anymore. Right. I got 80 employees. I got people to do that, right? And so because I spent the time to write those systems, I don't have to micromanage, right? You can have control or you can have growth, but not both. So if you're somebody that has to have control, it's fine. You can have a nice, profitable, small business. It's never going to be big. You can have control. You can do just fine. For me, I wanted to grow, and so I realized I had to hire good people and have good systems. And when you have good systems, you don't have to micromanage. And so it allows you to expand and find. And for me, I knew the thing that made us profitable was having expert coaches. And so for the thing like the academy, when you talk about doubling down, I had to have expert coaches. My business model doesn't work if I don't have expert coaches. So I had to figure out a way to make more expert coaches, hence the academy. Have we had any, any questions on the stream? Anybody say anything that... I don't pay attention to these nerds. <laughs> uh, someone asked how close, and I think maybe they're talking about like holographic type stuff. How close do you think we are to coaching, video coaching during lifts? Oh. Like a little Obi-Wan Kenobi... Uh, hologram yeah. and, you're, and you're just well, sitting I mean, we, next to we one? can do that now not with a hologram and of course you can do that live <laughs> facetime here's, here's the downside there are lots of businesses so it's the peloton model for uh, for uh, oh, right yeah for yeah. barbells right yeah, yeah. so peloton model for barbells so uh, on the surface that sounds like a great idea let me tell you why i don't think that's a great idea that said somebody's going to figure out how to make that work and they're going to turn it into a multi-million dollar business i'm convinced but let me tell you why i don't want to do that because the advantage that I have in online coaching my clients is that I, they get to train when they want and where they want, you know, anytime they want, any gym they want. I've got clients in Singapore and Hong Kong and whatever. I don't want to have to get up and train my clients in Singapore at the same time. And right. here, here's the deal. I, I'm sure coaches in California are significantly more expensive than in Missouri. I'm $200 an hour, which makes me the most expensive coach in all of the state of Missouri for sure, <laughs> Right. You can hire me for an online coach and I'm $219 a month, I'm basically $200. What you would pay me for an hour of coaching in person, you can have me for a month as a coach. You can't have me because I'm full. But you, get, you, know, you can have a great coach for a month for that. So the cost benefit is so much better. Whereas if I have to get up and coach you on a screen live on a Zoom call or a Skype call or a Peloton type device, you're going to pay me $200 an hour. Right. Yeah. I can break down your entire set of videos for an entire think about how many how many hours like you go into a 2 hour workout Mike how many minutes of that 2 hour workout are you actually lifting heavy weights that need to be coached yeah maybe about 6 minutes yeah I was going to yeah. say I was going to say like 4 
It's not long. <laughs> My work right? capacity's not, not there, buddy. And so I can coach at your entire session yeah. in four, five, six minutes. Right. And you still did a two-hour workout, but I didn't have to coach all your warm-ups. I don't need to watch you load the plates on the bar. I don't need to, you know, all that kind of stuff. I can coach the lifts of the heavy stuff just fine in four to six minutes, whereas if I have to coach you real-time, that's going to be expensive. So until they figure out the AI version of that, and we're – we're a long way away from it. I hope it comes sooner rather than later. I think it's actually a good thing for the industry where they can actually have an algorithm coach your technique and your form. Um, there's no way to get around that, right? So the next best option is that Peloton model where maybe I'm coaching 20 people. It's a class-based right. barbell model where I got 20 people. Like, And then you're on a timer. Like, okay, Mike, you go. All right, Mike's done squatting. Jim, you go. All right, Sally, you go. And mm. I'm just, you know. Yeah. That's the only way to do that. Otherwise, and it's it's going to be difficult in a barbell model. Yeah, I think it's just so different. And even the term coach is just thrown around everywhere. And I don't want to throw bashes at companies or anything programs out there either. But like what you do is coaching. You're watching people. Yeah. You're analyzing not only what they're doing psychologically, but the sets, reps, schemes, the progressions, uh, and how their body's moving. Like other people literally just write numbers on a board and cheer you on. Or, it's online or, programming. It's online programming. Right, right. Or, or, or even, even, even online programming, because I do a bunch of templates. It has progressions. It has purpose. It has intent. Uh, rather than me giving you a workout. And Peloton is just a workout. They're going right. to scream at you. You're going to sweat. You'll burn some calories. Is it better than doing sure. nothing? 100%. I actually think Peloton's genius, not only for business model, but even, even for just exercise. Getting people excited about being in the community, getting their heart rate up great things for it but barbell making progressions again for like the, someone like your is it sybil like someone like sybil yep. like the progression there is what matters she can't get off a yep. toilet now she can squat like that yeah. actually affects her life um and not that heart training won't cardiovascular exercise is great it can help your life and allow you a, a longer uh, better life but it's just so different um even all the instagram people that were bashing all the time and again i make fun of it because i ended up I guess being one tenth of what they are, but uh, <laughs> like you, you, I'm just not showing you a booty workout where you're kind of sore at the end of the day. We're trying sure. to get you from point A to point B. There's a real goal involved, yeah. and that's where yeah, it just gets more complicated with real coaching or or barbells. Yeah, it's good. Well, thank you very much for your time, man. It's been really course, good. Uh, where can people find you and your uh, business? Business is Barbell Logic. If you can't find us, you don't deserve to. There you go. <laughs> you can. Our SEO is pretty good. So get on Google. We're Barbell Logic and on the social media. So Instagram. We've got a great YouTube channel. I'll just say this. Uh, I, I've done the podcast. Now the podcast has done very well over the last several years. I can't believe people want to actually listen to me on this stuff. Um, podcast is uh, a logical, systematic progression through strength. So if you start listening to the podcast, I'd start at episode one and start working your way through. Uh, there are now 320 episodes. So that's pretty daunting. Uh, I think the best place to start is the YouTube channel. We've got great YouTube videos. We, we've got a, a very professional videographer and vi post-production team. We were lucky because we made pretty good money on the online coaching first, and then we were able to build the audience second, which is the opposite of what most people do, right? You yeah. can accidentally you get your audience on YouTube, and then you try to monetize the thing. Um, so we were able to put some good money behind the video production quality. So all those basic like how to lift videos, they're three to five minutes and you can learn everything you ever want to know about the lifts and the programming. You can do that on YouTube first, the podcast at Barbell Logic, and then of course you can find out anything about our online coaching service or academy at barbellogic.com. So we're easy to find. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter and all that fun stuff. 
Awesome. Awesome, man. Thanks for your time. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please give us a rating and review for our new episodes every single Wednesday, everywhere you want to find us. Uh, I am Silent Mike with two Ks everywhere. I am at DJ McD on all the social medias. You can follow the show on large, largely on Instagram at uh, 50% Facts, where percent is a word and 50 is just numbers. And uh, also the website uh, following that same pattern of letters and numbers. And we'll talk to you next time. <laughs>